Ron DeSantis. Because Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war too, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it just shows that because the civil war is, is over, doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the compounded interest. And now here are your hackers of the week: Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla, coming to you live. Well, we're live on a Tuesday evening coming out on a Wednesday morning. Scott, it's been quite a busy week in the newsroom, so to speak, here since we've last recorded. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking there was a couple of different stories that we really had to focus on. Uh, One was kind of a landmark death uh, that happened just uh, this last week, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday. And of course, you know, the big news on Tuesday, well, it hit last Friday, but today was the official arraignment day. So I figured, you know, we, we could not let this pass. No, it's it's a juicy opportunity. Um, and it's one that, you know, you and I have both kind of made segments of the show out of things we've seen on Twitter. And, and, and this Trump arraignment or the idea that Trump is being arraigned has really made for some absolute fantastic Twitter gold and just irrational Twitter arguments and sideshow performances and just every bit of the current American and political system that you can imagine because it's 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 a a greatest hit CD of all the Republican tropes right now going on um, as they stand by their man. I know I sent you a few things uh, in a flurry, you know, today and. And yesterday, you know, kind of one of the funny things is that um, I've been going to my eye doctor uh, in spring, which is, you know, giving me a, a, an awfully good opportunity to kind of listen to some things on the radio and kind of do some thinking, which, you know, kind of helped out for today's show. Fortunately, had, you know, some thoughts that finally came together and hopefully we can put it together and make a good episode for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's juicy, Scott. It's it's absolutely juicy when you've got a former president of the United States under indictment, um, and the only defense that people can have is whataboutism. 
right? Well, what about these people? If you're gonna if you're gonna investigate Trump, then you should investigate uh, Hillary Clinton, and you should investigate Obama, and you should investigate them. Okay, sure, like investigate everybody. I don't care. Like there is criminality in our political world at an abundant level, and I'm sorry if this person did it so abundantly, godly worse than anybody else that you had no other choice but to try and criminally prosecute the guy and there's and and you know the government's got what like a 90 96.3 conviction rate uh when when you're going up against federal prosecutors so it's it's a tough it's a tough road ahead and the only the only thing that the republicans can do is play the what about game right now so I used to be one of those people, and we talked. One of the things we talked about last week, or at least I did, was the fact that you know we, we were talking about flip flopping. My mind has been changed. I've gone a one hundred and eighty degrees on this because if you had talked to me ten years ago about such a you know a thing happening, I would have been against it. And this is considering the fact that you know the George W. Bush administration. Definitely had some criminality, you know, going on there. Uh, we know about the Reagan years. You know, we know, you know, that they that Congress investigated Bill Clinton. Um, don't know how much actual criminality was going on there, but I would have been one of those people who said like th- that indicting a former president or a current president is a bridge too far. I would have said that ten years ago. I can't say that now. I definitely cannot say that now. And and the thing is, is that, you know, and I'm just going to go exhibit A, just throw out a random senator, Susan Collins. Now, do you happen to remember what Susan Collins said after the first impeachment? I don't know. Not off the top of my head. She refused to vote for conviction because she said, quote, I think he's learned his lesson. That was, what, 2018, 2019? Yeah, I think so. What have we learned in the interim four years? I think that we've, as a society, learned he didn't learn his lesson. I think what you and I, at least what I always knew, it sounds like you learned that, is these all these people never learn a lesson. They never never do. There's no lesson to be learned. The, the, The lesson that we should learn is that these people don't learn a lesson. Well, you know, and what's funny is that there. I think we're not there now. I think we would have been after the New York uh, indictments, but uh, Rachel Maddow has a terrific podcast going on right now currently where basically she's looking at all the things that we think are unprecedented have happened before. Um, and, she harkened back to 1973 when the DOJ was just this far short of indicting Spear Agnew on a ton of charges. And there was a whole race because Watergate was going on at the same time, but his charges were not related to Watergate. They were related to something else entirely. And so they were. there was a race because they knew that if Nixon resigned, and Spear Agnew becomes president, they had no idea what was going to happen from there. Like Spear Agnew, he could try to pardon himself. Um, he could, you know, sit there and say, you can't, you know, you can't indict the president of the United States. He could say all kinds of things. 
So they made a deal with him that if he resigned, they would drop all charges. And I think, you know, after New York, maybe you could go there. I don't think they can do that now. I think that's way too weak. Personally, I think he needs to be hanging from a tree because, you know, he he has stolen nuclear secrets. He is blabbing about stuff to just any, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry that walks into his office. He's got freaking boxes stashed in the restrooms at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, he's just, you know, it's just wall-to-wall paper. I mean, I remember there was a, a joke article uh, by Andy Borowitz who uh, – you know, he writes a uh, humor column for the New Yorker, you know, talking about all these Mar-a-Lago people going like, well, what are all these you know, nuclear secrets doing on the menu? I mean, what the hell? I mean, this is just, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I think anything short of an execution is letting them get off easy in this case. See, in, in this one scenario, I am... Not in favor of an execution, but I am willing to look back through the annals of history um, for a punishment for a cre- for a previous country's ruler who got a little bit out of control. Uh, I-, I think we could we could do to Trump what was done to Napoleon: send him to an island with like literally, you know, a bow and arrow, hunt for yourself, garden, do what you got to do. Uh, but this is where you live now. You are a man without a country. You live on this one tiny island by yourself. You have six months worth of supplies. After that, you need to learn how to live off the land. And I bid you adieu. Like, I think that would be pretty great. You know, I don't think Elba's being used at the moment. Uh, you know, and, and, and I would be willing to even suspend the whole six-month thing and just sit there and say, we'll airlift stuff to you. We'll just kind of drop it, you know, on the island. You know, maybe once every few months, you know, even maybe build them a nine hole course, you know, if you really want to, you know, get you know, no. technical about it. But no. my thing is, I just don't want the, the whole no thing. Money is, spent. No money spent, Scott. If he can figure out how to fashion what is needed out of a tree and whatever to, to, to build himself, of course, that's on him. But I, I, you know, he's the construction hero. He should be able to, have to figure that out in no time. Here's because here's the thing, and and this is the honest to God thing, and 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 to get here serious for a moment, uh, when you're taking you know beginning political uh, philosophy 101, uh, your your fir- very first go to books, you're gonna go with Thomas Hobbes Leviathan, you're gonna go with John Locke's uh, First and Second Trees of Civil Government. And in both those cases, they reach entirely stark different conclusions, but they start off with the same spot, right? And the same spot is that we are born into a state of nature. In a state of nature, you have perfect freedom. But see, here's the problem. Let's say in a state of nature, I go in and I steal Tim's golf clubs. Now, Remember, we're in a state of nature here. We don't have government. So what's Tim's recourse? So walk. let's walk through this here, Tim. I steal I'm your going to have to go forcibly get them back from you. And maybe steal mine too, right? Possibly. Just as revenge. So, you know, let's say that I, you know, in the process, you know, he steals my golf club. So I go and I break a few windows. Y'all see where this is going. 
right? It's escalating. And so sooner or later, Tim and I are going to have a confrontation. One of us is going to end up dead or both of us. And then our families are going to have to get involved. And then it just gets ugly. So what happens is, is that we agree as people, and this is something unique to human beings, and the animal kingdom does not do this. We agree to have a common judge. That's our government. And so the government is there to sit there for us to go and for Tim to go there first and say, listen, this guy stole my golf clubs. What are y'all going to do about it? So the government then arrests me. Government forces restitution. And the case is over, right? We move on. We don't have this tit for tat. So the question then becomes, what happens when the person who's supposed to be the common judge is a criminal? Can we, you know, what do we do? And so this is where, you know, our political philosophers kind of come into play. And this is where our second big story that comes out, your favorite guy and mine, I'm sure, Pat Robertson, passes away this past week, uh, 90 plus years old. And I'm not going to get into what's happening to him in the afterlife. Cause I think there are too many people who are gleefully talking about him in hell. And I, and I'm, and I don't want to go there. Um, that, that cast me as judge. And I just, that's not something I'm willing to do, but did a lot of nasty things to our politics. And I don't know, did you ever get a chance to read a book called the Prince from a Nicolio Machiavelli? I have read The Prince, yes. Do you remember what the money line in was from The Prince? Is it better to be feared or to be loved? The ends justify the oh, means. Well, that one, yeah. So that was my intersection between criminality <clears throat> and politics and Pat Robertson. As I thought about it, and I said, you know, the thing is, is that if you can convince a group of people that what they want is righteous, then you can convince them to accept any means necessary in order to meet those ends. That's where we are. So the Republicans, particularly religious conservatives, they desperately wanted Roe v. Wade to be overturned. That was their number one objective. And they got it. They got it. But at what cost? That is the question. So Machiavelli would sit there and say, well, if you think that that's a righteous end, then it doesn't really matter what you did to get there. But what I would submit is that the problem is, is that if you do something horrible enough, then you become worse than that thing that you were trying to defeat in the first place. No, Absolutely. Um, I mean, look at in, in the history of Christianity, right, is basically judged as and justifying the means. When you look at how Christianity spread across the entire world from from where it started, a lot of it was, quote unquote, by force through war, through conquering lands. And with the all, you know, well-being purpose of spreading, you know, the message of the Lord. And that was being 
justifying getting these people into God's good light. Yeah, we have to kill a few people to show them, hey, God's with us, right? Because we're winning this war. <laughs> Clearly, God likes us more. Do you want to come over? Like that was that was the ends justifying the means. And so Christianity has been used and has used that philosophy for the longest time. And it's just America has turned it to a whole new level. You know, part of it goes with, with the way that media has changed and the just instant need for constant content nowadays. And, you know, part of it is just America's unrampant capitalism has now meshed with religion. And it's, it's, you know, if it's, you're prosperous because you're a good Christian, right? Like you make money because you go to church and in actuality, true Christianity is, is quite the opposite of that. But these things have all come together to where religion could truly be used in politics and it's and it's used to overlook some some pretty fatal flaws in in political candidates simply because they claim to be you know family men or men of God or they go to church on Sundays, and we're completely willing to overlook policy decisions they've made, voting records that they have in the past, allegations of of sexual abuse, allegations of of spousal abuse. We overlook all of these things because they're a good Christian or what we think is a good Christian. And, you know, there's there's a great quote in the West Wing, and I, I don't like to go to it too much, but there is you know some poignant moments. But um, Senator Vinnick, who was uh, played by Alan Alda, is is running and he, and he starts talking about and he, he gets called out on the fact he doesn't go to church. Right. He's a Republican who hadn't gone to church since his wife died and he gets called out on it. And at some point he stands up and he makes a speech and he says, if you start demanding religious expressions from your politicians you're just begging to be lied to and that's where we are you had someone like donald trump sitting there holding the bible upside down outside of a church because that's what he knows his base wants him to see that dude would literally light on fire if he walked into a chapel i i I truly believe the moment he dips his finger into holy water he starts just burning he is nowhere near a christian but the Republican far right Christian base thinks he is because he's lied to them because you can just do that nowadays. So, you know, I want to, since you brought up the West wing, I want to go to another portion of the West wing that I think is really, really huge here. And that is, you remember that president Bartlett actually committed a war crime. I do. Yeah. Where he uh, commits posse comitatus when he kills, um, the leader of a fictional country um, on an airstrip in like Cuba or something. Yeah. And so I think what's funny, and this is where the criminality and politics kind of comes into play is that whenever, uh, and taking Nixon out of this because, you know, Nixon was actually pardoned. And so, you know, we have no idea where a criminal investigation would have gone. Um, I think, I think we can harbors to guess. Um, but if you look at all of the other presidents, Reagan, Iran Contra, George W. Bush, uh, basically lying to get us into Iraq, everything there you could you could claim in a similar way to Bartlett that they did what they thought was right. They cut corners, they broke the law, but they broke the law in some, for something that they perceived to be a greater good. And so that would have been my um, 
that would you know been my my comeback for people who wanted to charge them specifically because you know then you're starting to criminalize politics because we could look at Obama and some of the drone strikes that he did and you could sit there and you could you could finagle your way into an argument that he had committed a war crime. I but, don't think it's a finagling. I, I, I personally believe Obama committed war crimes. So the question then is, where do we draw the line? Because, you know, the funny thing is, is I don't know if you remember the, the, the famous Frost interview with Nixon after he'd left the White House. I don't know if you've seen clips of that at all. Um, but this is where the president, the former president of the United States, Richard Nixon, quite literally says, if the president does it, it's not illegal. These words actually came out of his mouth. If the president does it, it's not illegal. So obviously, you know, Nixon's in his own separate category. But if we were to look at Reagan, first Bush, second Bush, Obama, and Clinton, I think every one of their so-called crimes were done to do things that they felt were in the greater good. Now, were they in the greater good? I think with, with Ron Contra, I think Tim and I would definitely agree. No, 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 nowhere near the greater good. Um, if we were to look at, you know, you know, George W. Bush, you know, invading Iraq with absolutely zero evidence, greater good. No, nowhere near it. But you can kind of see where they thought they were doing good. The difference here with Trump is there's no argument whatsoever anywhere close to anything he's done that is for a greater good. No, it's no, it's just a personal, I wanted this crap. Now, does he want this crap just to sit there and say that he has it or worse? Is he trying to sell it? I, I, I would bet the paper contents of my wallet that at least some feelers have gone out to say, hey, you know, how much will you pay me for this stuff? I think that's happened. Now, did he actually sell this stuff? Uh, who knows? But that's the difference, and that's, the, and that's what we have to contend with. But I, I will counter to that as well, though. When we talk about the criminality in politics, I think it's gotten more and more brazen as time has gone on, right? I, I think leading up to Donald Trump, it's it's been not as waved in your face. And I truly wonder, I, I really do wonder if Nixon is prosecuted, what 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 does our political world look like now? Because I was I was listening to one of uh, the podcasts I enjoyed and you know they brought up the point that you know, there should be some sort of committee that constantly investigates all of our politicians to make sure that they're doing things on the up and up. Um, the reason that'll never happen is because our politicians in Senate and, and House would have to agree to vote for that and they don't want to be investigated. But at the end of the day, as a politician, you should be afraid of the United States population finding out that you are a criminal while you are in office. The reaction should be so severe that it should be the last thing that you want to do. Instead, many, many people go to Congress with not a lot of money to their name, and they leave millionaires. How do they do that? Insider trading, accepting bribes, uh, you know, 
quid quo pros, all sorts of things that if you and I were, were found doing in regular everyday life, we'd be in prison. But because someone from a very small rural population in Georgia um, gets to do it because she goes on TV a lot. So we have allowed all of this rampant corruption to go. I mean, there's been like six prosecuted politicians ever from the federal courts, from the DOJ. This is Donald Trump's like the sixth ever. You going to tell me he's only the sixth to have ever pulled some shit? No. We've pulled the we've pulled too many punches and we've allowed more grandiose and grandiose things to happen. Like if he's if Nixon's prosecuted for Watergate, does does Reagan do Iran Contra? If Reagan's prosecuted for Iran Contra, does George Bush then lie to try and go into Iraq knowing that you know, his father and Reagan just got busted for doing this shit with Iran? Probably not. Does Obama just senselessly drone strike people if he knows that he can be held accountable for taking out innocent lives? Probably not. So at some point, you know, we've allowed as a society, as as citizens of this country, by, by taming our reactions, we've allowed this rampant criminality to infest our system. When you have things that happen like in Flint and there's still not good, clean running water for those people, what, 10 years later, they're still dealing with that? And no one went to fucking jail? What the hell? Nobody. No one went to fucking jail for that. People died. Everybody overlooked everything to make money. And no one went to jail. I think where there's a difference. And and there's a difference, I think more in the voter than I think in the politician, because I think you can look in history and you could sit there and say, there's, you know, Johnson, Kennedy, Eisenhower, Truman, Roosevelt, definitely. They did some shit that very few people found out about, but, and that's where, you know, one thing where I think Nixon probably got caught up is where he's like, I was doing the same stuff that these people before me were doing, but you know, just the number. And yeah, when you go back and look at it and, and, and somebody was talking about this with Watergate and he says, when you go back and look at it, just how comical, how comically bad some of the stuff is like, the, Are you, the, have you watched the HBO show on it called the I, cleaners? I haven't, but I, I've it's fucking hilarious. It but, is because it's so bad. They were so bad at breaking into this place. Yeah, they tried four different times. They, they ran out of the boardroom. They ran out of boardroom and had a catered meal one time, thinking that was the way. I mean, it is astonishing. One of the guys is an outright Nazi who has like he vinyl records of yeah. has vinyl records of Hitler's speeches. It's just like this is this is insanity. Well, what's funny is is that watching different depiction of uh, depictions of him, and that uh, did you ever see the Oliver Stone movie Nixon? I didn't know. Well, it was kind of weird because you know you had Anthony Hopkins as Nixon, which for the first half hour you're like, "What the hell?" you know, and then all of a sudden, about half an hour in, he's like, "Damn, he became Nixon." Uh, so he did a really good job, but he, uh, you had, um, God, what was his name? Uh, Ed Harris, I think, uh, was playing E. Howard Hunt, and the line that he said about um, about Nixon is one that I think is kind of parallel to Trump where he said like Nixon is the darkness 
reaching out for the darkness. And I was like, wow. You know, that sounds pretty familiar. But I mean, Nixon I, this, literally call in the middle of the night drunk as shit and tell people like fire nukes. Let's go D- hit them, hit them hard. And they'd be like, yeah, let's let's ignore that one. Like, well, well but here's my thing. Right. So I think it's the American voter has changed. Because he, he, I'll tell you, Ken Paxton, the man has been under indictment. Every single day that he served as attorney general, when he ran the first time, he was under indictment. How in the hell? And so this is where, you know, I just, uh, that, that gets, uh, that absolutely gets me. Um, I did have a side conversation. I was going to start with it because, you know, we, we could go on this rant for, uh, forever, but, you know, one of the things, you know, that, that kind of came to mind is in a separate corollary conversation was just how did religion formulate our politics, form our personal politics? And, you know, where, you know, compare that to, you know, what we see going on around us. And so, you know, how did we turn out differently? You know, and 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 this has always been my con, my contention too is that how many people who are who would consider themselves to be religious are like us, because I think the numbers are a lot higher than what we think, and it's been one of my contentions with the Democratic Party and with leftism and progressivism and liberalism, however way you want to throw that umbrella is that the problem I have is that we've kind of seeded that if you're religious, you're right, which I don't think is the case at all. I think we have a very good case to make to people, but the problem is is that the language is often used. And every time I've written a piece for Juanita Jeans and I've mentioned religion, I get attacked like I'm a Republican. And so and it's like, so what are you basically telling people who are good, decent people who are left to center and happen to be religious? So I think it would be kind of instructive, I guess, to talk about where or, you know, how do, did our religion and our upbringing bring us to the place where we are today? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard to separate the two. When you look at the way certain people are brought up, right? Like religion is certainly part of my upbringing. And part of that is, you know, I was born Catholic um, and was active in the Catholic church my whole, and until, you know, right around the pandemic. Um, I went to a Catholic college because I wanted to go to a Catholic school. Um, To me, Everybody I lived near voted Republican, and it was mostly single issue, right? It was abortion was was the issue, you know, and it just but it was never talked about. It, there, you know, politics was not really ever talked about. You know, we just knew we were, we, you know, our house was a Republican house. You just kind of knew that, you know, we we knew we liked Bush because he was from Texas, like that was really it. But you know, I as I grew up in the Catholic Church, I 
um, you know, the things that were as important in life, treating other people with respect, caring for your, you know, your, your human, your human race, regardless of the color of their skin, uh, looking to, you know, feed, feed the poor, clothe the, you know, feed, clothe the hungry, feed the poor, whatever, you know, the Beatitudes. I'm sorry. That's what I'm trying to get to. But, you know, when you're a kid and, and you're going through confirmation and you're learning about things like the Beatitudes or, you know, feeding people without any questions or washing people's feet or, you know, the good, all these things that you're taught. And then for me, it really, you know, I, I voted for Trump the first time through because I personally, I don't like Hillary Clinton. Like I, I will go on and I don't like any of the Clintons and I being a naive 26 year old voted for Donald Trump. And then as I watched this person in office, I just realized how can I sit here and claim to be Catholic and claim to have these values in my life, these things that um, I, I think are pillars in Catholicism and, and say that that's a choice that I support. And, and when I looked at it like that, I, I there's no way I can support someone who wants to slash. And this isn't even Trump specifically, but I can't support a party that wants to slash social benefits for people that are in need. I can't support a party that um, is, is fine to let weapons of, of death continue to be sold because certain people donate money. I, I couldn't be fine to support a party who was willing to let people die um, just to keep factories and things like that open. None of that, none of that added up with what Christianity and Catholicism was. And that's kind of when I realized there's just a break. There's a break in it and call it the messaging of the Democratic Party, call it the religious right, call it whatever you want. But at that point, I realized I can't. I've been brainwashed, essentially, you know, and I also would like to add in, you know, I when I went to St. Mary's University, um, that school is 76 percent Hispanic. Most people there are on financial aid. And even though I grew up in Clear Lake, considered pretty middle class, people there thought I was like rich. And so I got to see how a lot of other people lived. And then I got to experience it myself working in minor league baseball, making $27,000 a year and, and seeing that there's no help for me. There's, you know, to get food stamps, you got to make less than like 20 grand a year. And, you know, I just realized, you know, this isn't what we were taught. You know, this isn't what, you know, Scott was on our confirmation teachers. This isn't what we talked about in church. This isn't, you know, you know, helping your man, your fellow man. This is, this is kicking them while they're down so you can get further up, you know, and that's just, it's not okay in my eyes. So there's a, there's a big disconnect. And this is why I wanted to bring this up. Uh, my family's different. My families are all Democrats. I think if, if, if Satan were to run as a Democrat, my mother might vote for him. Um, that's about as, you know, she, she's what we used to call a yellow dog Democrat. But I still remember this to this day because, you know, before you, you were born in, gosh, about the late 80s, early 90s, St. Bernadette's went on this big, huge vote for life kick where they would hand out pamphlets of these are the people you should be voting for. 
And so I remember they came, you know, to my mother on the outside. My mother's not even Catholic. She's Methodist. And so she comes to church, but she's never received communion. And they came to her and said, like, well, will you give, um, you know, will you give money to, you know, the pro-life causes? And she said, the minute you start worrying about those kids after they're born, I'll give to you. And that, you know, that's one of those things that stuck with me. You know, and so I guess, you know, it's kind of fortunate to have that, that foundation. But one of the things I was thinking of, because I remember you made an offhand comment about our youth minister during one of our episodes. And one of the things that, that also came to my mind is that there were a lot of people that were in your, your class who were very, very active. I'm not going to mention any names because that's not really cool, but who almost immediately fell away from the church. I mean, almost immediately. Um, and so, and I, you know, and I don't know what to attribute that to. One of them was, uh, you know, somebody that she actually was my, you know, the teen that was in my small group. Cause you know how y'all were like paired with an adult leader. And so she was paired with me and she almost immediately, I mean, we could talk off air about who this is, but you know, she almost immediately left, you know, the church. And so it kind of, you know, it's kind of making me wonder, it's like, what, you know, what was that force that drove, you know, all these people away? You know, hopefully that wasn't us. Uh, you mentioned the youth minister. And so that's kind of a, you know, one of those questions because I think what's happening in terms of like you know, politics is, is that I think that, you know, so many people, particularly younger people are seeing a disconnect. They're seeing, you know, a Jesus that's preaching these things. And then they see, at least I would say an American church that's preaching these things and being like, wait, what, what, what no, hold, you know, time out here you know, where did this go? You know, where did this Jesus go? Why are we being introduced to, you know, what, what some people have called Republican Jesus? Where did this Republican Jesus come from? And it's so, not even, it's not even Republican Jesus that I don't like. It's American capitalist Jesus. Like Jesus would hate capitalism. I think if you truly like study the Bible, Jesus is a communist, right? Like if you're going by like political... Today's political terms, Jesus shared everything he had with everybody else. Like, every, like, give up all your possessions, come with me, be a disciple. Like, literally everybody eats together. At worst, he's a socialist, right? Je like, uh, there is a quote from the Bible. It is, you know, it is easier uh, for a, a bull to pass through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to gain entry into heaven. He did not like people who hoarded wealth. So at the end of the day, capitalist Jesus isn't a thing. It's not a thing. And, and, and that's what I don't like in America. I've, I've told my parents, it's, you're right, Scott, a, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, not a bull. But either way, I mean, Jesus didn't like capitalism. He kicked people out of the church for setting up places, like for selling stuff inside the church. He kicked them out. So in what world would Jesus be like, hey, you're a good guy, so you get to have a nice Christmas bonus this year. No, that's not okay. how it works. So uh, for people who are biblical scholars, um, that 
passing the camel passing through the eye of the needle actually is a, an actual thing. It's an actual physical thing. Most people think of it like metaphorical, but actually the whole idea was is that the, the, the needle was a narrow entryway. And so the whole idea is that the camel can pass through if everything's stripped off the camel. So that was more, you know, it was more of a, it, instead of the metaphorical, like basically rich man would never get into heaven. Basically the whole idea was, is that, yeah, but you've got to, you know, you've got to get all this stuff out of your saddlebags in order for that to work. And so that makes a lot more sense when you think of it that way. And so I guess, you know, that's where, you know, I think with the younger voters, definitely, I think Christianity is, the numbers are going down, certainly worldwide. I don't know um, if you've ever looked at, you know, the numbers of people who are fervently Christian, you know, in say Western Europe, you know, church attendance is, is well below the United States. But, but that was always my, one of my fascinating questions, you know, particularly for you guys, because there was a lot of people in your class who were really gung ho. And then, I mean, I can tell you what a lot of it is too, though, is the parents. It it comes from the parents as well, because you had to, your parents brought you to church up until a certain age, right? Then you're confirmed. And, you know, I I had several friends whose whose parents stopped going to church once their kids were confirmed because they felt like they did their job. They got their kids to confirmation. Their churching, their church time is on them now. If they want to go, they'll go. And so that's what happened. You know, I, I, I saw it quite a, quite a bit. I mean, it, but also it's in that in our specific case at St. Bernadette, uh, the, the lady running it was a big problem. You know, you had someone who was just not warm and welcoming, who didn't treat her volunteers well, who wasn't appreciative of of the help that was done for her, and quite frankly, was just not fun to be around. And so, if you're seeing that, why would you want to come back and volunteer? Um, to help the next group of kids go through when you see how the current volunteers are treated, when you see how your confirmation teacher is crying because, you know, we're not going to say her name, was yelling at her for something, you know, for dressing in what she thought was inappropriate that day because her family dressed like Amish people. And so, you know, it's just the, the, the hiring decisions of the church are always interesting. And it's not just our specific church. It's all, you know, what are the processes that we're looking for to get the right people in place to engage young people? And that's where, you know, some of these mega churches, at least I think do a good job of engaging people in America is they hire charismatic, young, energetic people where like the Catholic church doesn't really do that. Well, let me, well, let me go, let me go back into a little bit of story time with the OG, uh, with the old, the old gangster here. Um, so actually, I got a Facebook notification that the, uh, the the pastor that when we went through, uh, Father Tom Butler, he just passed away. He was I don't know, even know if you even would have a recollection of him. I don't know. He's like he was ninety three, I think. So he uh, he just passed away. Um, one of the things he he said famously said was that giving money to the youth was like converting the converted. I don't think he got it. He just doesn't get it that 
Yes, the youth are a captive audience. Yes, they're going to go through. Their parents are going to make sure they get confirmed. Yes. But how many people are going to actually continue, you know, with their faith formation after they've already been uh, been, been confirmed? And so the, uh, the youth minister before uh, Nancy, who was your youth minister, was a woman named June. And, and here's what happened. They are actually going through, and, and this was hilarious because <coughs> the youth minister I had when I was going through was a brother and he was only there for two years. And that was the St. Bernadette's way is that we went through youth ministers every two years. And so they had this guy come in and this is just during the interview process. They haven't hired anybody yet. And the, uh, the search committee basically said, you know, we just want to let you know we have kind of a history reputation of running through youth ministers. And he says, y'all couldn't be as bad as St. Bernadette's. Like, um, you're at St. Bernadette's right now. Obviously, he didn't get the job. Uh, but they did offer a guy a job. Um, and so he's coming in to sign his paperwork. And I can't remember what it, you know, the number was. And it really doesn't matter at this point. But let's just say it's like $30,000 they agreed to. And they said, okay. So, and, and you, we, you here you are and you acknowledge that you have agreed to become the youth minister at St. Bernadette's for $25,000. And he's like, no, that's not what we agreed to. And so he says, I'm not, no, I'm not signing this. He says, we agreed to this. This is not, you know, and this is what, you know. So they ended up, June was a parent and they just hired her. And she was like youth minister for like five, six years before uh, Nancy came along. Now, the one thing I'll give to Nancy is Nancy was better than most of the people I've worked with in terms of allowing us to do what we did well. Uh, so for years, I was running retreats. She wasn't doing retreats. I was the one in charge doing retreats, um, which, you know, fit me well, just because, you know, coming from the teacher background, I could sit there and I could put together a schedule. I could sit there and look at, okay, here's the information we want to put forth. You know, how, what's going to be the best way to communicate this, you know, to the kids. And then when we, we did Life Teen, it became that much easier because Life Teen would actually plan retreats for us. Um, but the, at least she did that. But yeah, I, I, you know, I could see from a teen's point of view, but you know, like I still remember, you know, you remember Tanook? Yeah, that was a great, uh, little memory of mine that I have running around the gym doing that. So yeah, we, we did this, uh, I think the song was actually Tanook Tanook and it was, a um, uh, Tanook Tanook Tan, I believe was the name of the song. Was it Indian? I think. Yes, it was absolutely Indian. And and we actually, they, somebody had watched the uh, the music video, and so we just had everybody at the retreats just you know basically mime this music video, and Tim, you know, and I think uh, one other person who was one of the people that fell away from the faith. I remember y'all got into a battle over who you know who would win, uh, and you barely came up short, if I remember correctly, but uh, it was close. I don't know if you're remembering that correctly, Scott. I think I won. 
Well, since, you we're know, not, since we're not naming names, I'm just going to go ahead and say I won. So yeah, it's all good. Yeah, eyewitness testimony is uh, is you know chronically unreliable. Um, yeah, memories are bad. But no, I, I do think you know because my my wife goes to more of a non denominational church, and uh, I, you know at this point in my life, I'm I'm kind of a CEO, Christmas Easter only, and so I will uh, go to that one with her and. I mean, I, I will say, like, they're, they're pastors or ministers, whatever you want to call them. They're more engaging. Um, do I think – do I agree a lot of times with what they're talking about? Or do I think the, cor- the, par- the, the parallels that they make are interesting? But, you know, being a Catholic, to me, like, when you start playing the song from the Breakfast Club in church, like, it's just no longer church for me. Or, like, when people bring in beverages or wear hats or all this other stuff. <laughs> like, I just – Ooh, drinking coffee during church, just like, and they have a coffee vendor there. Like that really just, I can't, yeah. you know, you're not, yeah. you're not supposed to have anything an hour before mass to get your body ready for Jesus. And these people are drinking coffee during church. Oh yeah. There's one down the street uh, from us on 2351. It's a newer one that I think there's a Starbucks in there. No, but here's the funny thing. So Anne did this volleyball camp years ago at a uh, university Baptist. Uh, you know, on, on um, Middlebrook Drive, you know, behind Brook Forest. And so they were supposed to, you know, show up. So we went and went to one service there. And they were doing an entire Bible study on the book of Ruth. And so here's this, this preacher talking about how Ruth was a refugee and, you know, she was brave and that, you know, she could have been killed at any point. And in the, the point that he got to is that we got to be nicer, you know, to the, you know, the, our refugees that are coming to the country. I was like, oh, my God, is there a Baptist saying this? It's like, what the hell? You know, and so it was, you know, th- and that's kind of what I'm saying is that there are pockets out there of people who are basically good, decent people who are also Christian, but we're cutting them off when we sit there and say the Christians are bad. And, and, you know, and it might be most, I don't know. Um, Again, it goes back to the messaging. The Republicans are so willing to go after the, the single issue voters. And that issue is abortion, right? Like if, if Democrats or the left could go after a single issue that is also important to Christians and, and maybe, Maybe it's maybe it's refugees or maybe it's it's human rights or maybe it's, you know, I, I don't know. But they just have such bad messaging. I, again, I'm not a Democrat, but the Democrats messaging is terrible. Their messaging is we're not them. And so when you're battling against the religious right, who's sadly got pretty much an unlimited amount of money to spend, you, what, what people like Pat Robertson did change the fucking game. At the end of the day, they took political fundraising from eh to hundreds of millions of dollars every four years because they're able to get these people brainwashed into thinking that your candidate actually gives a shit about making abortion illegal or not. And that's all that this person cares about. I'd say a majority. I honestly, Scott, I believe a majority of American voters are single issue voters. I really do believe that. I think the problem and I've said this before, and I think the problem with. I'm just going to say the left and then we can wrap whatever label we want to on that is I think we care about too many things and we, we care about too many things. Uh, 
And so you sit there and say, you know, gun control, is that important? Yeah. You know, uh, the environment, is that important? Yeah. Education, is that important? Yeah. You know, economic justice, is that important? Yeah. You know, actual justice, is that important? Yeah. You know, and so you start rattling off all this stuff. And it's like you get to 10 or 12 things where we're all like, yeah, all this stuff's important. But see, the problem is, is that the right has an army of people who will write their congressman or call their congressman over one thing. So like your NRA, those are one issue voters. I want my gun. Okay, so they're focused on keeping their gun. We're focused on gun control for about two weeks until the memory of the last mass shooting kind of goes away. And then we're kind of to the next thing, which is probably equally important, but we need, we need more focus. And, and I think, you know, part of it is that, you know, we, we have, we're, we're splintered and that, you know, if I have to sit there and explain that there's left, there's liberal, there's progressive and all these different things that, mean something a little bit different and that there's tension between those groups, you know, that by itself, but, you know, at certain point we have to sit there and say, okay, this is important. This right here, we need to do this and we need to get everybody we can on board. We had a group, we had a, a lawyer come in who works for the diocese and came in and explained exactly what they're doing for refugees that's it's a big deal. So the diocese itself is putting its weight behind protecting refugees and working out for them. So how do you sit there and you justify, okay, but I want you to vote Republican, even though on this issue, we're definitely agreeing with not Republicans, that's where things, you know, and that's where the church, you know, especially when the church sits there and goes, vote for these people. That's where I want to turn around and say, like, okay, uh, where do I send the tax bill? Right. You lose got, your non-exempt tax status when you start doing that. And that's, you know, that's where I'm at on that. And, and so religion and so to kind of wrap all this up, because we've been talking, you know, both things here is that. I think for religious voters, I think there are people the way the the way that Pat Robertson and the people like him were able to get themselves into the game and they were able to get their followers into games. They were able to convince them basically of the Machiavellian argument that the end justifies the means that this Donald Trump, who is an imperfect vessel you know, if there ever, you know, there's no way he would fit anything that religious light stands for, but he's going to get you your abortion. He's going to make, he's going to get you your judges that are going to get you, you know, Roe v. Wade to be overturned. Okay. Okay. He's going to kill how many people in COVID he's going to lock up kids in cages He's going to call all these other parts of the world shithole countries. Uh, he's going to, you know, roll back the rights of, you know, of marginalized in this country. He, you know, he's going to be, a, you know, the worst womanizer anybody's ever seen actually is going to be found guilty or liable, I guess I should say more accurately, 
of sexual abuse. Um, he's going to be, he's going to be guilty of all these things, but it's okay because he's going to get you your judges that are going to get you Roe v. Wade. And that's where religion and criminality intersect. Because if I believe something is a desperate need, if I believe something strong enough that this has to happen, I'm willing to overlook anything as long as I get what I want. Absolutely. And that's, that's, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly where we're at politically. It's exactly where the, the, the religious right has taken us. And it's exactly what single issue voting has taken us is these, this person at the end of the day will help address this one need. I am voting because I believe this person will put judges in place to take care of this one thing, or I believe this person will make sure I can still own guns. And that's how we have overlooked literal criminals going into politics, or we overlook the criminal acts that people like Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz um, or Jim Jeffries have done while they are sitting Congress people of the United States because no, they fought for, they fought for truth. You know, they, they fought against the lies of COVID or they, you know, we have just accepted that it's okay that they did these bad things because they did them in the name of my personal freedoms. Um, and it's, it's just a dark road. It's a dark, it's a dark with the United States government has always been, I think they've made a lot of questionable decisions since day one. We are not perfect. We, we, we are, if anything, the, the country with the best PR in the world, but we are not perfect and we've made a lot of mistakes and we just refuse to look at them or accept them. And it allows us to go down this dark path that we're on right now where, um, you know, we just vote for, for bad people because they say the right things. They say they're going to do the right thing in your mind, which isn't even right. You know, they say they're going to ban certain books or make a travesty of certain groups of people or whatever it may be. And we overlook everything because they said the one thing that you wanted to hear. And I just, I can't urge people enough to do research. Being a single issue voter is one of the worst things you can do because you will be lied to constantly. Even if you're a Roe v. Wade person, which I, I can't stand that to thing. Look how long it took. Realistically, look how many presidents lied to you before you actually had, you know, the ability to get it done. And if you're, if you're a Democrat, look how many times you were lied to about, you know, codifying some of these rights into law. Obama had the fucking numbers and he didn't do it. And he lied to each and every one of the people on the campaign trail because he said he was going to do it, but he lied. And because people voted on that issue, they accepted that lie. And well, it's okay. Biden will get it done. If we vote for Biden, he'll get it done. Hillary, Hillary will get it done. First woman president, she's for sure, for sure going to codify that right into it. Well, what happened? You know, it just doesn't get done and we overlook it because they told us the one thing you want to hear. And we've just allowed way too many people. And we've only really talked about presidents today, Scott, for the most part, right? There are, you could spend hours going through Congress on, on insider trading alone. On how many people went into Congress, average middle middle class Americans, and left with millions of dollars. Nancy Pelosi's husband runs the stock market. They do pretty well for themselves. 
pretty questionable if you ask me. And, and, and that's just accepted. It's accepted that it's okay that the former Speaker of the House's husband runs one of the, one of the markets and trades actively. And we're just going to go, they don't talk about that stuff. She doesn't tell them any of that. She knows better. No, absolutely fucking not. I'm sorry, but we just accept it. And she keeps going back each and every year. People like Dianne Feinstein keep getting elected each and every year. And she's another one who's made so much money while she's in office and, and, and won't let anything progressive get done. But as Democrats, we just think her, her being there, her in that seat, we got to keep her. Can't let it, can't list losing that seat. Fuck her. She's a criminal, just like they all are. Well, plus she's, she's uh, not doing too well cognitively uh, these days. She but- hasn't been for 10 years. And what, this is the only job, too, Scott, where like, we don't look at people who are 90 and go, hey, Time to retire. Have you ever been, like, our listeners, do you ever go to an old folks home? When you go in there, do you think, fuck, this is some real good thick thinkers in here. This should be who I'm electing for Congress. No. You go, uh, they, they feel jello all over themselves. But no, for some reason, we're fine with fucking 80-year-olds in Senate. It's ridiculous. Did you ever see that ad campaign? I think it, it, it debuted the, uh, the Super Bowl, you know, talking about how, you know, the, the, some people's retirement wasn't going well. They're singing a song. I'm 85 and I want to go home. <laughs> like this 85 year old guy trying to work as a fireman. You know, the hose goes on. He's being blown yeah. everywhere. It's, I mean, uh, could you imagine going to, you know, I don't know, going to a, a lawyer's office? I mean, in what world do 90 year olds and 80 year olds do well, contribute to society I'll other than this. good stories and good times and good recipes? I'll say this, you know, my dad's going to turn 80 this year and I think he's doing pretty well cognitively, you know, compared to most people, but there's some times like when I was sitting there, do you think your dad could handle the most stressful job in the world? No, but even, you know, when that's what the president is, right? The president of the United States is like the most stressful job in the world. You look at everybody's before and after pictures and they look like shit when they're coming out of office. And we're going to throw a 77, 78 year old man in that job? Well, no, we were. What are we thinking? We were in the hospital just this this week as he's getting another procedure done. He's just, I mean, his heart is just, um, he's, they're trying to find something. And my mother's sitting there trying to text. And I, I don't know what happens, but for some reason, she's got the recorder on. So everything my dad and I are saying is going into the body of her text. And she's like, well, y'all stop talking. So, and then she's actually pressing the X key. Tee, tee, tee. And so, you know, you can hold that down. It'll just, you know, erase. And it's just, you know, watching them trying to operate a cell phone. And they'll sit there, they'll text me. And then I'll text back and they'll call me like three hours later. So, you know, what did you think of my text? Well, I answered your text. You know, did you, you know, but Yeah. Yeah, Every yeah, time yeah, my yeah. parents' Wi-Fi goes down, I get a call. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Say, and they say you broke my Wi-Fi. Uh, and I'm like, I I haven't been there in months. They're like, yeah, but last time you were here, you logged on. I'm like, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> and but no, yeah. these are and my parents are in their sixties. But yeah. these are the people who we want making legislation about emerging technologies, and these are the people we want deciding where money gets spent on on tech. 
and they can't even operate a fucking iPhone without calling yeah. their grandkids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my uh, my daughter went over there to try to you know fix their Mac, and she was kind of turning around and looking at me and staring, giving me that you know, please God help me. Like, I still no. remember. I still remember when my mom was trying to teach her dad the concept of the double click. Like oh, no. we, we set him up with a computer, and he would like every time he tried to double click, he would just drag the icon across oh, the screen because he no. couldn't. He couldn't oh, figure no. out the double click. It's like, oh, no. I mean, okay. these and you know, they're America's greatest generation, whatever you want. But realistically, it's time to step aside. But they're making just too much money. They're making money hands over fist, and they don't want to do it. Yeah. So, okay. All right. We're getting to that part of the week where at least one person is stuck in our craw. So I'm going to let Tim, you know, tee off here first. You know, Scott, I, I actually have been really trying to stay out of the social media arguments. I, you know, there was a time two or three years ago, you know, I, I don't know if you remember one of the former uh, confirmation teachers reached out to me and said, Tim, I need you to come into this comment section and bring some heat. And, you know, that's just what I was known for. And, you know, I really tried to, to back out of the fray and, and just let things go. But this week, uh, you know, there's a story that came out about um, Brittany Griner being harassed uh, in the DFW airport by Alex Stein, who's a, a right-wing conservative piece of shit. And, you know, ESPN had posted that, you know, the WNBA is going to be looking at security and how they do things differently. And I, I, I see the comments and it's just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting with the way that people are talking about Brittany Griner. And one of the guys is holding his daughter, in the, in the profile picture and just says, and some absolutely disgusting things. So now here, I, I, I can't hold back. I, I hop in and just some of the responses I got, man, the way that these people think is gross, absolutely gross to, to think that someone who uh, is not allowed to be upset with their country, just because you don't think America's perfect. You must hate America and you're a commie piece of shit. I got called a libtard like four times. These people can't understand that there is something left of liberal. It just fucking blows their mind that that I'm not a liberal because I'm on the left. Like they can't fucking accept it. And it's just this group. Of, I call them. I want to call them chads or or bros or whatever you want to call them that are just there to talk shit all the time. And it's like I don't even care on a personal level. But like, what are you getting out of hopping on ESPN's Facebook page and, and just talking shit about Brittany Griner? What does it do for you? And what, are you, what is it that's saved? What happens when your daughter's of age and she sees that shit? Like, wow, my dad's a real fucking piece of shit. What, what are we doing? Like, why is that just now accepted as it's okay? You, you're allowed to just... And these people are like, she's an athlete. She should know. She should accept it. Like, no. She should have an expectation of some privacy to walk through an airport without some right-wing asshole busting through her security line to question her. She's not seeking office. She's not out there doing anything. She's a professional doing her sport. You know, like realistically, that guy's lucky he didn't get knocked on his fucking ass. Because I have to think Brittany Griner would have knocked this guy the fuck out. But she didn't because she restrains herself. And then people want to talk about how she's a communist piece of shit. You know, she's a disgusting American. To, uh, no, 
you're allowed to look at your country and go, wow, we could do things better. And you're, and it doesn't mean you hate America. It means you care enough to want to make the place better. I, I just hate the people who say, if you don't like it, then leave. Fuck you, man. Like I've been here my whole life just because I don't like how things are going and I'm passionate about making it better. Doesn't mean that I should leave my home. So years ago, I remember, um, so this would have been 2017 because this would have been uh, Deshaun Wat- Watson's rookie season, I think. Uh, one of the, the guys, I'm going to see him at the high school reunion. I know I'm going to see him. Um, was talking about the fact that he went to the game in Seattle. And he was just really offended at the fact that Dwayne Brown was kneeling for the national anthem. Just absolutely offended. And he says... You know, and, and we got, you know, and these are not bros or Chaz or whatever. These are people I graduated high school with. We're sitting there arguing online about this. And it's like, well, how can you do that? And he said, you know, we're representing our, you know, we're, we're representing our country. And I was like, you know, I was like, you know, dude, I looked at the NFL schedule. I didn't see Vietnam on the schedule. What, uh, how are we representing? How are the Texans representing the country? We're not playing anybody from Canada. I didn't look in the NFL. Is anybody in the, from Canada in the NFL? I don't think we have any teams from Mexico or or Asia or Europe. How are we representing? And then yeah, you know, I finally had to sit there and say, you know, you realize the Defense Department paid the NFL to do all this, you know, stuff with the national anthem, right? It's not, you know, it's not integral to football. So, you know, what are we doing? And and these are people, it, it just gets, and they're the same people. If you don't like it, he doesn't like it. He's making millions of dollars. How can he possibly, you know, and it's like, yeah, because he actually cares about somebody else in the world other than himself. Weird how that works, right? So... I'm with you there, Tim. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I haven't been on a message board like that in years, probably for good reason. Uh, I mean, one guy literally told me that I should worry less about this and worry more about finding a year-long buffet pass for my wife because it looks like she needs it. I was like, if I could have gone through the computer and literally fucking choked someone to death, it would have happened last night. Like These people are just disgusting human beings. Oh, these, and oh man, during my last reunion. Right. So there's this one girl I graduate with. I won't say her name because I won't, don't want to embarrass her. But she accosted me. We were in line for a beer. Right. And she accosted me in line about the fact that I was mean to her online or something. And I was just like, I'm sorry, you know, whatever. And so one of my classmates actually showed up. He dressed up as a clown. And so I went over and I talked to him. Because uh, we were friends back in high school. Now, now keep in mind, I'm bringing my wife with me. So this girl on Facebook afterwards, I say girl because I don't think she's ever really grown up, said that my date to the reunion was a clown. And I was like, so are you calling my wife a clown? Is that what you're doing? I said, you know... Want to make sure you check that before, you know, and by the way, this was, the clown was this person who's also somebody we graduated with, uh, but my date's actually my wife, so are you going to call my wife a clown? 
you know, I'm obviously not going to hit a woman, but, you know, I'm not above completely dressing her down in, in public, making her look like the ass that she is. Because it's like, you know, are you sure you want, you know, you sure you want to go there? Yeah. So my, uh, my scumbag paid off quickly. I sent Tim this tweet probably either today or yesterday. I can't remember what, but so Lindsey Graham, great American Lindsey Graham, uh, somebody who, well, I could say what my, what I suspect, but that has nothing really to do with this conversation. But as far as, you know, Donald Trump being indicted, he came up with a 100% truthful statement. I'll have to admit most Republicans think that Hillary Clinton has gotten away with a crime that she hasn't been charged for. Yeah. Well, go along with you there, Lindsay. But see, here's the thing. What most, most Republicans believe, if you were to, if you were to poll, and they have, most Republicans, 67% don't think that Donald Trump should have been indicted. And they don't think, they, they think that he should, he is entitled to take any kind of secret documents he wants. That's 67% of your party, Lindsay. 80% of the rest of the country agrees that no, this is not a good thing. And thank God that we're actually, you know, holding somebody responsible for this. But no, we're going to sit there and quote what the majority of the Republicans think. Well, majority of the Republicans think what you tell them to think, Lindsay. That's how this works. So if you want to, you know, actually tell the truth every now and then, maybe your Republican voters will actually, you know, figure something out. And he did tell the truth back in 2015 when he was running against Trump. He was the most anti-Trump person in there until Trump was the nominee. And then all of a sudden he's pro-Trump. Trump is sitting there telling, you know, Ted Cruz how ugly his wife is and the fact that his dad is the one that killed JFK. And, you know, Cruz actually for about 13 minutes was a man and stood up to him for about 13 minutes. And then he caved, capitulated, and now he's the most pro-Trump person that you ever think. So let me tell you something, Lindsay. I don't give a shit what a majority of Republicans think. I don't. They're not tethered to reality. So let's come back to reality and let's realize that y'all investigated Hillary Clinton upteenth million times. Trey Gowdy's probably still investigating him. He's nowhere near Congress anymore. And you know what they found? Zilch. Nada. Nothing. Hillary Clinton. I, you know, she, there's a lot of things not to like about Hillary Clinton, but she went up there to Capitol Hill and she testified before Congress for hours. Donald Trump ever come and testify before Congress? Hell no. Because he, he can't, he couldn't tell the truth, if, you know, if it would save his life. But hey, you go on and you tell me what a majority of Republicans think. And, and at the end of the day, too, who fucking cares? Because I don't. I what does one have to do with the other? If if you guys think that she did it, bring her up on charges. One does not mean anything to the other one because the evidence is there. 
it, realistically, you could have got Hillary for shit. She brazenly would use her own personal cell phone uh, to answer uh, emails that should have been answered. She would bring her own personal BlackBerry into government meetings, and it was an unsecured de- device inside a meeting. She did some shit. And if you wanted to get her, you could have fucking got her, but you didn't. And that's I, – I don't think any of these political people are above prosecution. And that's what this whole episode has been about. Who cares what Hillary Clinton did? It does not matter in what Donald Trump did. These are two completely separate people who have probably both comp- could have done two completely separate sets of crime. If you want to get Hillary, do it. I don't care. It doesn't take any skin off my back. It's one less criminal off the streets. And these are the kind of criminals that really should be off the streets and not the ones that the police victimize nowadays. The ones that really are raping and pillaging the American society are these people. This guy has literally stolen top secret documents. There's a copy machine. There's a fucking copy machine in the bathroom with the documents. Do you keep a Xerox in your shitter, Scott? Because I I don't keep one in mine. Mine's not that big, but, you know. I could fit one in my bathroom. I I don't know of a a reason you would need one in, in the old outhouse, um, other than it goes along with the fucking documents that are there. So one crime, two wrongs don't make a right at the end of the day. So you can't just play what aboutism. If you think someone did it, investigate it. Fucking investigate it. I am fine with that. As an American citizen, I'd much rather my tax dollars go to investigating as many politicians as possible to keep them on the straight and narrow. You should be scared shitless of doing something wrong while you're in office. And, and Lindsey Graham, you're a fucking hypocrite, man. Like, if you literally thought Hillary did it, you guys had the House. You had the, everything you wanted. You had your Republican DOJ. You could have brought her up on charges. Donald Trump literally said he was going to lock her up. And then he didn't. So that one's on you. All right. So, Tim, I, I know I sent you a few tweets uh, this week. So did any of them stand out to you as our profiles and idiocy? You know, as as always, you did send some some classics, some bangers. Carrie Lake, um, you know, threatening the president of the United States, or is always or threatening the DOJ is always good. Um, fan favorite, um, Lindsey Graham, always a classic. Marjorie Taylor Greene claiming that we live in a communist country, pretty darn good. But I think the one that is gonna take the cake for me is from Representative Andy Biggs. Joe Biden cannot direct our federal law enforcement apparatus to jail his political opponents. Those type of actions only occur in authoritarian regimes and cannot occur in America. That's not what's happening. Like, the fact that these fucking morons still are trying to make the case that Biden thinks the only way he can beat Trump is by arresting him is outrageous. And I and I just want to make sure people understand how freaking stupid that is to think that's what's happening. It's it's the message, and it's just as idiocracy as you can get, in my opinion, Scott. So, I mean, let's 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 dust for Prince here, right? So, also, let's not let's also remember they hired a special prosecutor. Well, also just to make sure that it was not politicized, they hired a special prosecutor. Well, then you have a grand jury that has to bring the indictment, which are you know ordinary citizens. But you know, let's let's you know, I, I had to play this game with Ann tonight. 
because Anne was starting to go into this whole thing, wondering whether Je- uh, Jeffrey Epstein was murdered or not. And it's like, okay. so Absolutely. Well, so, and I was like, here's the thing. The wider conspiracy is, and this is kind of where I got into the whole thing with Q on her on, like what the Q people actually believe. And it's like, do you think anybody could keep it a secret if a conspiracy was that widespread? Or, you know, if Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whoever decided I'm going to hire a prison guard to, to whack Jeffrey Epstein, do you think that would be, you know, they'd be able to keep that a secret? No, I mean, it's, it's the most silly thing. And, and it's the same thing with Trump. He's going to get indicted now. I guarantee he's going to get indicted in Georgia. That's going to happen. And he might get indicted for January 6th stuff separate, you know, to what's going on, you know, in Florida. So he's going to be indicted by four different jurisdictions, four different jurisdictions, two of them at the state level, two of them at the federal level. Now, if you're a Republican, you're going to have to you're going to have to finally come to grips with making one argument or the other. Either Joe Biden is too old and stupid to figure out what's going on, or he's got all kinds of juice that he can get this done in four different jurisdictions. Which one is it? Which one do you think it is? Because you have to pick one. I don't think he has any control over this whatsoever. No, I don't he think Biden has any juice. No. Biden has no fucking juice. No, and but that's that's the point is that they keep arguing. Well, this is all Biden. It's like, well, if it's all Biden, then he's obviously not as feeble minded as y'all are arguing. And so you know that's. But anyway, I think we've we've run that one into the ground. Uh, yeah, it's. I just I'm tired of seeing it, and I want to call it out this week because. Uh, it's it's just truly what a lot of people believe. You know, we live in Texas, and there's a lot of people around us who believe that uh, they're coming for them next. That they yep. truly believe that, like, if they could come for Trump, they can come for you. Like, how about just don't break the law? Yep. Don't break the law, and the Department of Justice won't come for you. That's that's typically uh, how that one works. Two-tier justice system. Yeah, one for criminals and one for people who don't fucking commit crimes. Those are the two tiers. Yep, that's right. All right, Tim. Uh, where are yeah. they gonna? Where are they gonna find you? Where are the good folks gonna find you? You can find me at Tim underscore Costello on Twitter. Uh, you can find the the Snapbook Facebook page as well. Um, always happy to to chop it up with the fans on there. And uh, I'd like to do a shout out here. Maybe by the next episode. Uh, Tim's life is about to change a lot. Ugh, man, it's a it's a waiting game. It's it's every I, can't, I I haven't even signed up for league yet this week because I don't know if I'm going to be available to play. It's just man, it's uh, every little every little movement or every little uh, ah is that it? Is that the one? It's just it's a lot, man. No, it's yeah, it's it's crazy. It, it yeah, your life will change forever, but for the better. Definitely Absolutely. for the better. Absolutely. All right, so you can find me at S Barzilla on the Twitter machine as long as Twitter is still, um, I guess, allowing me to stay on. And uh, I do write for the Battle Red blog uh, for Houston Texans and for Juanita Jeans Beauty Salon. Uh, 
Uh, please like us on the Facebook page. Please come by and visit us. If you have an idea for a scumbag, please let us know. We would uh, we love listener comments. You know, we haven't gotten very many up to this point, but uh, you love us, let us know. You hate us, let us know. We love to hear from you. Well, we appreciate everybody who tuned in today as we try and break down a little bit of what's going on out there in the world. But, um, you know, it's it's a lot. So it, if we could have barely scraped the iceberg uh, with the indictment and the criminality of politics, then we did our best. But we appreciate everyone who joined us today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow as we get ready for the U.S. Open. And Scott keeps trying to figure out that golf bag of his. That's all we've got for you this week on the Snap Hook as we keep trying to move you from right to left. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.